Welcome to the Vaco County Pulse. This special legislative edition of the Pulse is focused on the issues before the 2019 General Assembly session. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia County governments. I'm Joe Lurch, Vaco Director of Local Government Policy and your host for this segment on the Virginia General Assembly. Joining me today is Vaco lobbyist Chris McDonald. Chris covers general government, environment, and agriculture issues. Uh, first, just a quick update on where we are in the 2019 session, which began on January 29th. We are on uh, day 35 of a 46-day session. Uh, and as we reported uh, just in our most recent podcast, out of the 2,600 or so bills that have been introduced, uh, just over half have failed, uh, with the remaining bills uh, still pending and being considered uh, in each of the chambers. The topics we're going to cover today are, are kind of a grab bag. Um, we're going to look at uh, ABC uh, beverage control reform, casinos, funding for broadband, uh, I-81 issues, uh, stormwater management, industrial hemp, uh, proffers, and one that snuck up on us on short-term rentals, also known as Airbnb. So, Chris, let me start with you. Um, two of the topics that I know you've been covering that, that are kind of somewhat related, the uh, ABC beverage control reform and then casinos. Sure. Well, thanks, Joe, and good to be back on the County Pulse. I think this is our third podcast together, actually. So yes. always, always happy to be back and ready to dig into some of these issues. Um, the first one I will note, as you said, um, there have been a bunch of ABC or alcohol beverage control reform um, proposals floating around the General Assembly, one of which has a, a fairly sizable impact on localities, which is essentially switching the idea of dry counties to a presumption of a wet county. Um, so today, state law prohibits mixed beverage sales in a locality unless that locality, so unless that county, city, or town has uh, approved such sales through a local referendum process. Um, there have been a number of exceptions carved out in the code. So the state code has kind of been rife with these interesting little carve-outs. So right now we have nine counties in Virginia that are still dry. We have 31 counties that are partially dry because there are maybe special licenses granted to establishments or certain magisterial districts actually allowed to be a wet uh, district. But that's a lot of dry counties with little exceptions carved in and out. So this year, two bills were introduced, one by Senator Reeves, that's just Senate Bill 1110, and House Bill 2634 by Delegate Chris Hurst that seek to kind of flip this presumption on its head. So it would allow for a local referendum to switch to a dry locality from a presumption of a wet locality. Um, so far, these bills have moved very quickly through um, both chambers. In the Senate, uh, SB 1110. Uh, zipped through the Senate Committee on Rehab and Social Services, passed the full Senate, uh, actually already has reported from the House Committee on General Laws, and passed the full House floor. So that bill hypothetically awaits a governor's signature. Uh, the House counterpart, which is Chris Hurst's bill, HB 2634, uh, reported out of the House General Laws Committee, passed the full House, um, and has been referred to the Senate Committee on Rehab and Social Services, where it also reported out 12-3. So that will also now be going to the Senate for a final floor vote tomorrow. So really, this ABC control, um, where the ABC reform laws have really blitzed on through and look to be um, so, on the so way we'll, to law. Now, assuming this becomes law, which seems likely at this point, if the governor signs them, what would be the impact? And, and I'm thinking about, about a county maybe that has maybe one or two more magisterial districts that are dry and others that aren't. How would they have to then take this law and then uh, work through it? So as I said a little earlier, what would happen with these bills should they be signed into law? Um, all of those dry counties or partially dry counties would be deemed 
wet, essentially, overall. Now, in order to kind of preserve local authority to remain dry, should they, uh, should they want to, this bill does have a delayed enactment um, and allows the localities a year to actually enact their own reforms to revert back to a dry status. So it has a delayed effect in order to not kind of catch anyone off guard or to kind of thrust this state idea onto the locality. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's move on to casinos, which is another topic you've been covering uh, pretty, it is. pretty well. Uh, casinos, much like ABC uh, reform, has been kind of one of the more interesting and exciting topics. It's generated a lot of buzz and a lot of uh, headlines coming through session. Um, the big effort that we've seen coming through the General Assembly this year is Senator Lucas's bill, uh, SB 1126, which would authorize five specific localities, Bristol, Danville, Portsmouth, Norfolk, and Richmond, to hold a referendum on the question of allowing casino gaming and in their cities. Um, the bill, if passed and if signed into law, would allow each of these localities to hold a referendum in the fall of 2019, and the Commonwealth may in turn grant a license for a casino beginning July 1st, 2020. Um, one of the kickers in that is that before this could really be enacted, the General Assembly wants to direct JLARC to do a comprehensive study of state gaming laws, in particular look at casino laws in neighboring um, states kind of around the region to see, you know, where is Virginia situated, what do we need to do, um, and then this delayed enactment to where casino couldn't actually come in until July 1, 2020, allows the Commonwealth a little over a year to try to get ready for kind of this big sure, change. Sure. Now, it's interesting because it's kind of an economic development uh, issue for these areas, um, a way to employ people, um, increase your tax base. Has there been any discussion about how the revenues would split between the state and, and the localities on this? There has been a lot of discussion. And, in fact, really the, the question about, you know, how much revenue will be generated and where these uh, these funds will go to has been kind of the crooks of a lot of debates as it's kind of tracked its way through the General Assembly. Um, the most recent recent version of this bill um, actually is it has a pretty comprehensive breakdown of where these go. Um, so looking at kind of the how it's all broken down, the revenue deposited uh, from uh, the proceeds generated from this, 30% of that would be used to support transportation, construction, and maintenance, and that includes not just the region that a casino would hypothetically be located in, but it would actually be disseminated across the state, so projects from the I-95 corridor to I-81 or secondary roads. Um, 30% would go to support school construction and modernization at public elementary and secondary schools. 10% would go to teacher pay increases. 10% would support initiatives to limit tuition and fee increases at public universities. Universities, and then 10% would actually be returned to the county or city in which this casino is located. Interesting. Well, that provides a good segue in, into the next topic we wanted to cover, which was funding for improvements to Interstate 81. Uh, for our listeners that joined our first uh, General Assembly uh, podcast, we talked about um, the Northam administration and the legislature looking at ways to fund uh, more than $2 billion worth of improvements that have been identified um, by the Commonwealth Transportation Board or the, or the CTB. Uh, they actually were directed by last year's General Assembly to come up with a plan for the improvements and then how to fund it. And as part of, of that package, one of the things that they had placed on the table was tolling along the corridor. Um, though those proposals, both in the House and the Senate, one by Delegate Landis and the other by Senator, Ob Senator Obenshane, um, met some resistance along the way. Uh, I think there was a lot of angst about tolling along the corridor, um, and those bills were significantly modified. It, it sets up the fund for the improvement, but it took away the tolling authority for the CTB, and it has an enactment clause to bring together a, a committee 
to further look at the plan and other options for um, funding those improvements. So unfortunately, that didn't make it through. There were two other proposals, one um, from Senator Hanger uh, up in Augusta, who's along the I-81 corridor, and he actually proposed a special uh, tax district uh, along the, the corridor um, uh, for um, gasoline um, sold at the rack to those retail establishments. His bill actually got rolled into uh, Senator John Edwards, who's from Roanoke, and his bill actually had a more comprehensive approach, which was to raise the overall tax at the rack uh, on gasoline from 5 percent to 10 percent. And as a part of that bill, it would allocate $300 million a year uh, towards um, the I-81 corridor. That bill was also significantly modified. So now that it's just a, a study uh, by the Secretary of Transportation and VDOT to look at the impact um, of uh, hybrid or electric vehicles on on potential the decline in the revenue um, related to that and maybe some suggestions moving forward. So it appears, um, you know, uh, absent uh, any other movement, that, that we probably won't see any um, resolution on funding of I-81 this year. Of course, as Chris mentioned, uh, there might be some funds potentially through um, the casino referendums that, that could help with uh, transportation as well as education uh, and other topics. Uh, the other topic I wanted to cover that we had touched on briefly in our first podcast for the General Assembly was broadband funding. Uh, the governor, in his proposed budget, uh, had increased funding for the Virginia Telecommunications Initiative, uh, also known as VADI, uh, to $50 million um, uh, for the upcoming uh, fiscal year um, to, for about $54 million over the biennium. Uh, the VADI funds are actually applied for by local governments and counties and cities and towns in partnership with a public, uh, private sector provider uh, to serve unserved areas. As that proposal made its way through the budget process, uh, that number was roughly cut in half. Um, the House um, has proposed $24 million for VADI over the biennium, which is still a lot more than it's ever been done for this, and the Senate has proposed $23 million. Uh, it is interesting to note, though, that the House version includes an amendment to the budget and the body language that states the money could also be um, used uh, entirely by a public uh, sector provider, so maybe some regional or local broadband authority. They wouldn't necessarily need a, a private provider. Uh, so that's where we are on those two issues. Now, Chris, you've also been covering stormwater and industrial hemp. Can you give us an update on those two? Absolutely. I always happy to dive back in the environment and ag world. Um, wanted to touch on kind of three big bills related to uh, stormwater and water quality that I've been tracking and we've been uh, a part of as its as session has kind of moved on. Uh, the first is uh, a really kind of interesting um, bill from Delegate David Bull of uh, HB 1822, which broadens the applicability of water quality improvement fund grants as well as kind of tweaks SLAF, Stormwater Local Assistance Fund, and this WQIF um, grant process to enact some reporting requirements. Um, specifically, the bill allows the DEQ to now authorize WQIF grants for the design and installation of certain wastewater conveyance uh, infrastructure. Um, so instead of having to receive grants for wastewater uh, treatment plants, this would allow localities to take advantage of this program and actually sink some state money into uh, essentially piping to, to uh, divert their wastewater to other So it's plants. kind of a cost-effective measure rather than spending all this money to upgrade the, maybe these smaller plants. 
if you can just pipe it to a plant that's already got those improvements, it's certainly. Yeah. Um, and then the, the kind of kicker in this bill, which I've really been intrigued by, and I think a lot of our localities should really um, appreciate it, is that it enacts some pretty stringent reporting requirements for the state, where every year as a part of the WQIF and the SLAV process, the DEQ will be required to work with local government stakeholders and other interested parties um, to actually assess the SLAF and WQIF needs of the localities so that every year they're going to be reporting to the General Assembly and to the governor's office exactly how much funding really is needed for this critical work at the localities. Um, So far, this bill has done very well, uh, passed the full House, and has moved on to the Senate, where it should be heard in the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Conservation, Natural Resources um, this Thursday. Uh, Another interesting stormwater bill to highlight uh, is Senator Hanger's bill, which is a rural stormwater bill. This bill authorizes the DEQ to provide Stormwater Local Assistance Fund, or SLAF, grants um, to smaller rural localities that are not regulated under the municipal separate storm sewer permit, or the MS4 process. This tries to open up the process for smaller localities um, to really try to get a piece of this really critical infrastructure funding. Um, and then the final bill that I'll note that is still alive um, is it's actually two bills, one from the House and one from the Senate. One is HB 1614, which is Delegate Coles, and one is SB 1248, which is Senator Reeves, um, which authorizes localities to create a local stormwater management fund. So this would essentially create a small local stormwater pro- management program where a locality could authorize grants of local monies um, to private entities for stormwater management practices. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I heard some testimony in one of the committees I cover, county, city cities and towns of the House, and Delegate Thomas, who was a co-patron of the bill with Delegate Cole, he explained the situation where you have existing uh, neighborhoods that were uh, put in place before the more stringent stormwater uh, standards, and there's flooding going downtown or downstream that's impacting other property owners, and the county doesn't really have the authority to go onto the private property to make these improvements, but if they could create up this local grant fund, Maybe it's a way to help the uh, the you know the private property owners make those improvements that will improve the water quality and improve it for those downstream. Exactly. Really, when it comes to a lot of these kind of similar bills, has been the idea is to kind of find creative solutions um, and add more tools to kind of localities' tool belt. And this is certainly one. Um, both of these bills have fared very well so far, um, and will be up. One of them is up today in Senate, uh, Senate local government, and the other will be up in the House uh, Committee on County Cities and Towns tomorrow. So they're both moving right along. The final thing I'll note, switching away from stormwater, is industrial hemp. Um, you know, we, we've written it up extensively. We've really been tracking this. Um, but these bills seek to conform Virginia law to the 20, uh, 2019 federal farm bill, which lifted restrictions on the cultivation of industrial hemp. Um, specifically, they, they kind of redefine the uh, the concept of marijuana or CBD, or which is cannabis oil, um, or tetrahydrocannabin oil, THC, to exclude hemp products and industrial hemp that is grown, dealt, or processed in compliance with state law. So to kind of take it back from the acronyms and kind of the details, um, really this is an economic development bill. Um, we're looking at trying to allow Virginia farmers to grow and process industrial hemp since it's used extensively for textiles, paper, industrial building materials, health and beauty products, um, and even animal feed. Um, so it's kind of a new cash crop. It is. It is. Actually, it's funny. I was reading an article just the other day that 1938, Popular Mechanics actually labeled industrial hemp as the next billion-dollar cash crop. 
So it might have taken, you know, 80 years to get here. But we're here. But we're, we're finally <laughs> here. Um, and it really, it has everyone, as I playfully put it, seeing green. Um, really, the most lucrative idea of this, in, in addition to the industrial building kind of materials that come from, a, from it, is CBD oil, which is used for a variety um, uh, of uses, including treatments for chronic pain, anxiety, inflammation, depression. Um, and then the, there's a vast medical potential for working with or treating autoimmune diseases, neurological conditions, metabolic syndromes, skin diseases, and more. Um, so really, the, the potential for this when it comes to economic impact and kind of a lucrative business model for farmers is enormous. So much, in fact, that the patrons of these bills, Senator Ruff and Delegate Marshall, have actually um, enacted an emergency clause on this legislation, which means that if it is passed and signed by the governor, it would take effect immediately. Um, they did this knowing, you know, it's a higher vote threshold, but... This was done to ensure that farmers could actually take advantage of this now and have industrial hemp planted for this spring planting season. Um, so it, it, it's a really interesting bill, and it'll be very exciting to see where it goes from here. All right. Well, to close out this grab bag um, of topics, I'm going to delve into the world of land use. The first one deals with conditioning zone, conditional zoning and proffers. And as we reported in our first podcast uh, on the General Assembly, uh, proffers is a way, a way by a developer who's going through a rezoning process, typically for a residential, can um, proffer certain conditions uh, for improvements, whether it's for schools or roads. And these can be in-kind donations or these can be cash donations, you know, tied to specific improvements. There was legislation passed in 2016 that uh, was uh, sponsored by the Home Builders Association of Virginia uh, to seek to l- really limit the authority or really the negotiating power of localities on this. And it's really had a chilling effect on development in Virginia. And so they came back this year with some proposals that have made their way through the General Assembly and are, and are likely to pass to kind of open up um, some of these issues. One is to really um, open up the negotiation process. Um, there was a certain amount of liability put on local governments in the discussions. It could be if they thought they were um, a developer thought they were asking for an unreasonable proffer, um, and so it really halted those discussions. So it's opening up that. It's also providing the option for a developer, if they want to go basically back to kind of the old way things are doing, they can voluntarily sign in an agreement saying, "Yeah, we want to go under this process and negotiate." Um, you know, we had followed those bills. We definitely think they're improvements. We wanted to see them go a little bit further. Um, there was the issue of capacity that was in some other proffer bills, and that was a way um, for all development, wherever it was in the pipeline, um, to go ahead and pay its fair share um, for capacity on schools and roads. And we think probably in future sessions this is something that's going to be relooked at. The last uh, topic um, has to deal with short-term rentals, um, also known as Airbnb, Flipkey, HomeAway. And these are these popular online um, platforms where people can rent out um, their homes or or rooms in their homes in residential areas. And there's a bill um, put in, Senate Bill 1701, uh, by Senator Adam Evan, uh, that seeks to undo an actual ordinance uh, done by Fairfax County. And it's it's really kind of a, a bad precedent. Essentially, uh, Fairfax County spent a year um, developing input. They had 11 uh, public hearing sessions, a lot of online surveys, and they came up um, with a way to accommodate uh, short-term rentals um, uh, in residential areas where previously they weren't allowed. 
And their bill or their ordinance basically says that if you live in a residential area and you want to um, rent out um, a portion of your home or all of your home to up to six adult guests, you can do that for 60 nights um, a year. Uh, you just have to register with the county and, and get a permit. It's kind of an administrative process. If you want to go more than 60 nights, then you'd have to come back to the county for more of a legislative review to look at the impacts. Some residents uh, felt that um, the ordinance didn't open it up enough, and so they're suing the, the county on this. But then they also came forward with this legislation that would basically mandate that Fairfax County has to go to 180 days. Uh, VACO is opposed to the legislation. Uh, we not only note that it's a bad precedent, but we have many counties that are developing ordinances at the local level to actually accommodate uh, this way for, for uh, homeowners uh, to you know get extra income. And if we start to do this... It may put the brakes on counties uh, saying, well, why should we go ahead and, and do this um, if the General Assembly is going to undo that? That bill will actually be um, heard in county cities and towns um, subcommittee number two on Wednesday afternoon. Joe, out of curiosity, how does that relate to the former Airbnb bills that our folks have heard so much about? So sure. So several years ago, um, Airbnb um, tried to get a statewide um, rule saying that basically this is a by-right use in residential areas. And some of those negotiations, they wanted to go as high as 180 days. Um, we, um, in, in concert with other local government um, uh, reps, we, we beat back those bills. And our argument was basically this really needs to be a local decision on how these are accommodated in communities because no community is the same. Uh, it actually culminated in 2017, which was legislation by Senator Tommy Norman that basically said a locality can accommodate these through a local ordinance and a registry, which is just what uh, Fairfax County did. So, that, yeah, thanks for that good question. So I think that rounds out our, our grab bag uh, for this uh, edition of the Vaco County Pulse uh, Special uh, General Assembly Edition. So stay tuned. We will uh, give further updates as we move forward. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.